Well, hello, my name is Fred Tomlinson and uh, today I would like to ask you to turn with me in Scripture to the second book of Paul to Timothy and in chapter 1. <clears throat> and uh, I'm reading just the opening couple of verses today. Um, Paul writing says uh, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Amen. I'll stop reading there. It might seem like an inappropriate place to stop, but I want to move through uh, some different things that the Lord has been laying on my heart and drop down on perhaps one or two other scriptures in this uh, epistle and maybe elsewhere as well. But uh, I'm thinking of what the Lord put on my heart to share last week uh, when we were thinking about the great conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And uh, if you've not listened to that message, I encourage you to listen to it. I entitled it Grace Experienced. And uh, Saul of Tarsus was the great persecutor of the church, as we know so well. And yet he became the church's greatest uh, promoter. Um, such is the the redeeming grace of our Saviour. And uh, I remember him going to the home of Ananias. You remember that he was commissioned to do that by Jesus himself, uh, having met him on the road to Damascus. And uh, just a verse from Acts chapter 9, and I'm reading it from a different translation than my usual one. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, um, Ananias has now come to the house where Saul of Tarsus is currently resident. He's just arrived there. Ananias comes in, having been commissioned by God so to do. And I read in the 17th verse of chapter 9, Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wonderful. And uh, I try to imagine things as I'm reading in Scripture. If, if you like, it's reading between the lines. or trying to imagine how things are working out. I, I can't help but say that when I think of Saul of Tarsus uh, being now in the presence of this um, Son of God, Ananias, in, in the light of all that has been his past, we talked about that last week, and all he'd been doing to the church and to Christian men and women. And Jesus said, "In as much as you did it to them, you were doing it to me. How unthinkable 
all that is. And then to find himself here where this, this Christian brother reaches out to him and calls him Brother Saul. And I'm imagining that there was an embrace that took place at that point in time. Uh, there's the prayer, there's the response. And I can't help but imagine Saul of Tarsus, as he was still named then. Uh, and, and excuse me if you think I'm exaggerating something, but in my mind I see him sobbing, I see him breaking his heart as the truth and reality of what he's been doing has dawned upon his heart and that in the light of the living, uh, uh, resurrected, ascended and Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him personally and directly. How amazing is all of that as he surely, uh, surely remembers just his own, his own blindness. Now I'm not sure at all that he was in, in, a, in a kind of a mood, can I say, to sing but as I think along those lines, I think of, you know, you're hearing a lot about Charles Wesley here, and, and that's going to continue. Uh, but I think of something Charles Wesley once wrote, and, and, and in my mind I thought to myself, if, if, if it had been possible for Saul of Tarsus to be familiar with these words, I can see him in my mind, in some corner, breaking his heart before the Lord, uh, in the light of such amazing grace extended to him. And Charles Wesley once wrote, On this glad day the glorious sun of righteousness arose, on my benighted soul he shone and filled it with repose. Sudden expired the legal strife, t'was then I ceased to grieve. My second real and living life I then began to live. Then with my heart I first believed, believed with faith divine, power with the Holy Ghost received to call the Saviour mine. I felt my Lord's atoning blood close to my heart, soul applied. Me, me he loved. The Son of God, for me, for me, he died. I found and owned his promise true, ascertained for my part, my pardon passed in heaven I knew when written on my heart. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my dear Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace, my gracious Master, and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honours of thy name. Amen. How wonderful. How wonderful. I love those words. They're my second real and living life I then began to live. He was born again. He was a new creation in Christ. And uh, his new, real, living life began to be. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Um, now that was, that was the beginning. And beginnings are tremendously important. And frankly, although it would be a different subject to what's on my heart, uh, I sense and I, I believe that for very many 
professing Christians, it's at that very stage where they go wrong, where they don't begin properly. And as the result of that, nothing really fits together. Nothing really works. But um, the kind of beginning that God, the Holy Spirit, is able to bring into the lives of men and women uh, is indescribable. And there are no words that, that are adequate uh, to speak of it. But having, having established that, that beginning, that real commencement of the new life, there's, there's another challenge, a very real challenge indeed, and that is just how a person proceeds from that point. You know very well that in a race, um, it, it, it's really all about what takes place in between the, the, the explosion of the starting pistol and the chequered flag. The, the real race is what happens between those two points. Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's very true to say, to, to finish strong, you must run strong. Now, there are, there are, it would take many sessions here to try to um, include the, the, the many, many things that the texts of Scripture bring to us concerning uh, this man Saul of Tarsus who is now the Apostle Paul. Many scriptures speak about his strong running, uh, the boldness of his faith in Jesus, the confidence concerning the message he has to preach, which I'll talk more about in a moment. Uh, but he, he, Paul was a man who was running strong right from the start, right from the beginning, and uh, it, 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 there's, there's no holding back at all. Uh, from the very moment of that transformational experience on the Damascus Road and then with what accompanied that in that house when he's together with Ananias, uh, Paul knew that he was a special man. He, he knew it had been stated by God. He knew that he had been chosen by Almighty God for a purpose. Now, let, let's not get tied up with, with um, Armenianism and Calvinism. We're not going down that road. We just want to read what the Bible text says and, uh, and, 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 and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the words of Scripture. Um, you know, I don't know whether it's ever really dawned on your own heart as you... You, you would say that, well, you have experienced this kind of supernatural beginning by the grace and power of God. Uh, but has it ever really dawned upon you that God has chosen you? And the text says it was Jesus himself in John 15. He said, you have not chosen me. We don't choose to give our lives to Christ. Jesus, according to Jesus, he, he said, I have chosen you. And, you know, only to sit and think of this fact is such a, a, such a wonderful, indescribable experience that God has chosen me. And I want you to sense the Holy Spirit speaking that freshly into your heart to, today. He's chosen you. And, and Paul knew that 
if you like, within the context of that choosing, God had a purpose for, for his life. I don't think it's put um, more clearly and wonderfully than in, in the epistle of Galatians that he wrote, um, where he just says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood, and neither did I go to Jerusalem, and so on, uh, as that reads in Scripture. But he, he, he knew beyond any doubt that God had called him, and God had a purpose for his life, and uh, uh, that was to exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim the great truth, and, or truths, uh, that are all gathered in the ultimate truth uh, of the redemptive work of Christ. Amen. And uh, Paul knew in, in his heart, beyond any doubt, that this was true. Um, it's it actually um, uh, Charles Wesley again. I've got the hymn book right in front of me. Um, but uh, the... the for those who've got the book I've got, which is called Hymns of Eternal Truth, the very first hymn in that we used to always refer to as the birthday hymn because apparently he wrote it either for his own birthday, I'm sure um, Bob Jones will clarify this for me, it was either for his own birthday or his wife's birthday, I'm not able to remember which. Um, but but in that hymn, in, in the 10th verse, he, he, he says... Um, um, He's just speaking about his life. He says, I rejoice that I ever was born. That's, that, that's a starting point. In the context of sensing God's call upon his life uh, and the commissioning of God to him, uh, he rejoiced that he ever was born, he said. And then he says, Oh, the goodness of God, employing a clod, his tribute of glory to raise, his standard to bear, and with triumph declare the unsearchable riches of God. Oh, the fathomless love that has deigned to approve and prosper the work of my hands. With my pastoral crook I went over the brook, and behold, I am spread into bands. Amen. Finally, I'm reading the 11th verse in which he says in a rapture of joy my life I employ the God of my life to proclaim tis worth living for this to administer bliss and salvation in Jesus's name my remnant of days I spend in his praise who died the whole world to redeem be they many or few, my days are his due, and they all are devoted to him. Amen. Amen. I think that was um, those words would fit very nicely into the mouth of the great apostle as well, um, um, because they're, they're sharing their, you know, so, so, so different, so separated in time, so separated in distance but the same great passion and sense of God's um, amazing grace for them. Amen.
And so, so Paul knew uh, right from the beginning then that, that God uh, had, had commissioned him and that he, Paul, was carrying a body of truth, a body of truth which was entrusted to him. Uh, he would write again to the Galatians and say concerning this truth uh, that he didn't learn it. It was not something he learned. If I put it into a modern context, it would be to say, well, he didn't hear someone sharing these things on YouTube uh, uh, or anything like that. He didn't hear someone else saying it uh, and he didn't make it up. He said, I received it. It came by revelation. God sovereignly uh, and, and divinely imparted to the understanding of this chosen vessel a whole body of truth uh, for him to teach and minister um, to the, um, the churches uh, that were there around him at that time or coming into existence through his ministry. Um, uh, what we know, of course, today is that that body of truth has continued to be available uh, to men and women through the centuries, through the millennia, and here we are talking about it and thinking about it as we're together just now. But he, he received this body of truth which he himself referred to as the gospel of God. It's wonderful. He used different phrases to speak of the gospel. Uh, that was from Romans chapter 1 where he speaks about the gospel of God. Elsewhere he speaks about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. On yet another occasion he speaks about it as his own gospel. He said, according to my gospel. Uh, he knew where it came from. He knew who the gospel belonged to, who'd conceived it and was making it available to men and women. Uh, but it, it had become so much a part of him. His inner man had so embraced it and with the revelation God illuminated to him, it was what he preached. It was his gospel. Amen. And he, he spent his life from that Damascus Road experience uh, preaching that message of the gospel. He preached it and he taught it and we find him defending it. But supremely, he lived it. And that, of course, is that, that's the foundation of everything. He was living what he preached. There was nothing hypocritical. He wasn't over here talking about something over there. It, it was in him. Christ lives in me, he said. The truth was in him, uh, revealed by the Holy Spirit, who was the great teacher within him. He lived it to the praise and the glory uh, of God. To him, the gospel was, uh, it was just priceless beyond compare. And uh, it was not merely what he knew about God, but the gospel was of God. And uh, it, it would be to others the means by which they could experience and know God themselves in their own hearts. To him the gospel was a, it was a portal in, into the majesty of God and into the glory of God and the wonder of God. Um, in, the, in the tenth verse of this um, second book of Timothy, 
I'll just read the, the verse. He says, but um, this, I'm sorry, I'll have to read verse 9 first. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Amen. And uh, uh, another translation uh, uses the word, um, that good thing. The Gospel to Paul was that good thing. That God had revealed to him. Another translation calls it sound words. Uh, another translation I remember reading decades ago, it, it termed the, the gospel here healing words. Paul was conscious and confident about that which he was carrying and ministering. Uh, he, he knew that it was a message of a supernatural work of God. We saw that in that ninth verse I've just read to you. It was it was a work of God, a sovereign work of God. It was he wasn't talking about encouraging people to to try to create some self-imposed change to themselves. This was this was a work of God wrought within the inner parts of a man or a woman, and uh, it had. According to his teaching, uh, consequences, it had consequences in respect to sin. Notice how Paul in Romans distinguishes between sin and sins. We can't say any more about that just now. But he knew that the gospel dealt with sin, the core issue within the unregenerate man. And he knew that this gospel had the potential and power to break the power of what Wesley calls cancel sin. He cancelled it at Calvary. The Holy Spirit in our contemporary personal lives applies his, um, his dynamic and breaks the power, the slavery to sin. And ultimately, as the result of this gospel, um, we will find that it even... Uh, deals with sin's presence as it, he takes us into his presence ultimately. Amen. He knew that this gospel that he was carrying imparted into the innards of men and women who had faith and were responding and received the Spirit of God and imparted the power to live the holy life. It's actually the Apostle Peter who once wrote, he said that God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness or all that we need to live godly in an ungodly world. Amen. Without the gospel there would be no justification. Without the gospel there would be no conviction. Without the gospel there would be no saving faith. Without the gospel there would be no power from on high. Without the gospel there'd be no sanctification. Without the gospel there'd be no glorification. Without the gospel no one would be his. Romans 8 and 9. Allow Wesley once more. 
speaking of this, he said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Glory. This is the gospel of God. This is the body of truth, or at least I'm referring to this body of truth that was uh, uh, revealed to this apostle, this man that God had chosen and called and equipped for this great ministry. When I turn to the second epistle to Timothy, I meet the apostle again. But I meet him uh, if I'm thinking of him running strong in the race that God had set out before him. I find him here in this epistle and he's rounding the final curve and he sees before him the chequered flag. Uh, he sees it from his position outwardly which was on death row in a Roman dungeon. According to a Roman uh, historian, uh, that, that place where he was being held was, was the uh, uh, Mamertine prison. And that historian describes it using words like neglect and stench and hideous and some other words also. And this great apostle, with this great message that he's been preaching and seeing it affecting the transformation that he'd known in the lives of other people. And he's now in this position. But the wonderful thing is, you know, as I, as I read through this epistle, and we can't do very much about it in this session today, but, but I sense a, a tremendous composure in this, in this great and mighty man of God. Uh, he, he, he's in a context where, humanly speaking, he's subjected to unthinkable psychological pressure. Um, he, he's awaiting Nero's executioner to come to him. It's inevitable. He knows that. Uh, this is the second time he's been in... Uh, incarcerated in Rome but the first time was very different he was in his own hired house and eventually he was exonerated uh, this is totally different he knows it's different he knows what's ahead of him he in his own words later in the fourth chapter he says he knows that the time of his departure is at hand but notwithstanding that he's still running strong glory to God uh, or, or to change the analogy, uh, the, the, the fire in his heart is still ablaze. Hallelujah. And his mind is still razor sharp. And uh, he, de he declares this. Let me read a little bit more in that fourth chapter um, as he's coming to the end of this important lesson. He says in the sixth verse, he said, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, 
shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to them also that love is appearing. Yes, this man was still on fire in his heart. He's still confident in his God. He's still running. Uh, his running shoes are still on, as it were, and he's, he's, he still remains stripped for the race and he's running flat out even at this late moment as he's approaching that chequered flag. But uh, look, look again at what's going on here. Um, uh, there, there are so many who are so quickly distracted in this race and that is another part of the problem I alluded to right at the beginning. But for Paul, he faced so many disappointments and so much was being done to his body, uh, stoned and beaten and incarcerated and so on, thrown, M many stories that we have. Uh, and it, 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 There was enough to just break his heart. Uh, and I have to bring this into, into this context as I see this great man with this great conversion, with this great commission, with this great message that he's been preaching through his, his public ministerial life. He's now in this prison. He knows what's going to happen to him, but he's got his mind working. I said it's razor sharp. He's not forgotten anything. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he will say um, uh, in writing this epistle, um, all they um, that were with me have turned away, have turned away from me. He's, as he speaks to Timothy, uh, he says, this, this thou knowest, you know this, Timothy, and that all they which are of Asia have turned away from me, of whom is uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes and Onesiphorus. Uh, these, are, these are names, these three names I've just mentioned there from the 15th verse. They're names rich, uh, etched into infamy uh, of deserters. Um, men who had been with the Apostle. Um, there's, a, there's a temptation in my heart to think that one or more of them may have been involved in the eldership in the Ephesian church. Uh, um, perhaps that's why he, the Apostle speaks to Timothy in this letter and says, you know Timothy, because Timothy of course was involved in ministry in Ephesus and so on. But the fact of the matter was that the cost of, of staying on course, of following through, of continuing to run, to be refusing and rejecting all of the distractions and the appeals of the world and the flesh and the devil, uh, that cost was too high for the integrity um, of so many uh, that had been following him. Paul would remember that. But the fact of the matter is, Paul himself, and, and let me just go back on this one phrase I've quoted already. I can't even get my head around the phrase which says, all they of Asia have turned away from me. I've pondered that long and hard over the years. 
What did that really mean? Because that's where most of his ministry took place. But but I want to focus. I, I need to bring in the these sort of these powerful negative issues, but at the same time I want to focus in on the the, the heart and spirit of this man of God. Um, you know, um, he refused clearly. He refused to be distracted. He made many statements that are recorded, scattered around in his epistles, statements that I love to read. Uh, when he says, for example, to the Corinthians, he said, yeah, all things are lawful unto me. And then he goes on to say, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Don't you love that? This, this, this conviction, this integrity, this confidence but ultimately this love for Jesus he says yeah I can do a lot of things that wouldn't be breaking the law but he said I'm not doing those things I won't I won't I won't allow them to dominate my life and control my decision making or my value system or the course upon which God has established me I won't do it there's got to be that kind of attitude within our hearts I'm, I'm, Paul's going to be the first one to say that he can't do it of his own power. Uh, but there's got to be that response in the human heart that allows the power of God to, to enable us to know that victory. Um, but there's nothing wishy-washy about the Apostle Paul. I will not. Oh, and he's writing to the Galatians and he says, and I think I read this, that I might preach him. You know, um, that, that's what he was all about. And perhaps there's no better scripture I could refer to than Philippians chapter 3, um, where Paul is speaking here. He says, concerning zeal, if you want to know about my zeal, he said, I was persecuting the church. And then he goes on to say some other things. But then he goes on to say, but what things were gained to me? He said, those I counted loss. For Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. And then he goes on to say, uh, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth for those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. This man was committed to Christ. He was sold out. He was all in. What does that mean to you, beloved? What does it mean to you? Where are you? in all of this yes Paul is a tremendous example 
and thank God for him and all that he's left behind for us. But now it's my turn. I'm running the race, you're running the race. And the Apostle Paul, there was, there was an ache in his heart. This comes through plainly in this same epistle. And the ache of his heart was that at all costs, this gospel must not become corrupted or else all would be lost. The Apostle Paul was spurred from witnessing the calamity that Constantine would bring upon the churches. Um, but sitting there in the squalor of that Roman cell, he writes to Timothy, and I'm going to just paraphrase what I believe the Apostle was saying to Timothy. It's as though he said, Timothy, my, my precious son, these may well be my final words that I would speak to you. Listen carefully. I have some very important things to say to you. You know, the second epistle to Timothy is, uh, it's not an, um, an analytical treatise, as was the epistle to the Romans. Uh, this, is, this is a pastoral communication. The central issue was the preservation of the true gospel which he had received from God. Um, he, he knew full well that there, there was a vulnerability about the situation. Uh, and it would never be greater than it would be when he left. He would know that because he'd been, he wasn't, it's not, it's not conceit, or I'm not suggesting there was conceit in the mind of Paul, but he knew that he'd occupied this very particular and special role. And in his absence, it would create a certain vulnerability within the churches. Uh, and they didn't, they didn't have New Testaments. The New Testament was being written, if you will, but they, they didn't have New Testament scriptures to turn to. And uh, so, uh, you know, then there needed to be some, some man and men who will continue this work. And I can't take that theme up on this occasion. What Paul said to Timothy, we'll have, we'll have to save that for another time. Um, but Paul had already seen the message being fiercely opposed and... He'd referred to those, uh, when he was in Ephesus talking to the elders, he said, there are, there, are, there are grievous wolves, even among you, he said, to the elders who were before him, rising up, uh, corrupting the message, and so on. He saw that, he saw that that was happening. And this would be the ache of his heart, and this is clearly, the this, this letter to Timothy was not merely a friendly note, that he was leaving for Timothy, but it was a commissioning to him, uh, trusting that God would use what he would say to further equip and prepare Timothy for what lay ahead for him. So where, where are we? Uh, where do we stand today? I know, you know, um, in so many cases, the uh, the the attractive, uh, Christianized institution has secularized the message 
and is secularizing it. They're making merchandise out of worship. They're deifying numbers and deifying programs. And what we have in so many cases is virtually unrecognizable from the early church. And the added tragedy to that is that so many in the rank and file are blithely ignorant of what has been lost and what they are missing. I, um, I wasn't sure whether to do this, but I, I think I will. Just want to say to you that, you know, many of you just getting to know me and reading bits and pieces about me or hearing me say different things, but as a young man, I was hugely blessed and privileged. I never went to Bible college or Bible seminary, uh, but let, you, let me tell you what I did do. I had the privilege of sitting under the ministry of some godly men whose lives impacted me greatly. Uh, they never sought to draw me to themselves, uh, but taught me to listen to the inward teacher. In my own ministry, which I've had by God's, and entirely by God's grace, over 50 years now, the Holy Spirit has taught me many things. Too many to talk about now. Um, but he's shown me very clearly that the message that I preach uh, must primarily, primarily be the message of the Christian gospel. And I believe he showed me I must not be, I must not be just a voice. Uh, I'm, I'm rather, I must be a voice, uh, but not, not an echo um, of someone else. Um, and that I must preach only what he makes real to me. So I, I saw clearly I'm not to be just some academic who studies information and gathers information and then cuts and pastes or whatever you do. And, and, and perhaps with some natural gifting, which I don't I'd claim to have any, uh, stand up and teach others in that way. But God was showing me, no, that's not the way. As I'm sharing this with you, I'm thinking of that man during the period of the Welsh Revival, who, who when he preached, he would preach with his head in a box. Can you believe it? In front of a congregation, but his head's in a box. How far away we've moved even from that kind of humility and brokenness and selflessness in ministry. Um, but uh, he made it clear, I must only preach what he makes real to me in my life. And I must never try to present an appealing, um, you know, or, or to have an appealing presentation. It must never be part of my ministry. It, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me, showed me very clearly that he himself, the Holy Spirit, is the one and the only one that can bring conviction to men and women. He's the only one that can impart that living seed of life. I knew that I must never try to be in some way cool. It sounds ridiculous for a man of my age to say that, but I haven't always been this age. And not to try and adapt myself to appeal to certain categories of people. 
and so on. I must certainly never polish myself as though I'm some kind of CEO of an organisation. But then I must remember continually that I am but a cracked part with the glory of the Spirit of God within my heart by His grace. He showed us also, my wife and myself, that we, we must always look to Him to supply our needs. Um, and uh, that I must uh, follow the Apostle's position. The Apostle Paul, when he said he would rather die than put a price to the Gospel. I mention these things because so many of these things are, 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 are so different uh, and applied in such a different way uh, in the churches in these days. And I think um, they're indicators that we've lost something so valuable and missing the point and caught up and, and influenced by the spirit of consumerism and, and, and salesmanship and so on and so on. Amen. Um, but we uh, were saying the Lord showed us we must look to him to supply our material needs and, and that he would do it through through gifts of love from those who were in some sense appreciative of what God was able to minister to us and to keep it simple. Amen. Beloved, I don't know so many of you that are going to be listening to me, uh, but maybe the Spirit of God is saying something very important to you today. You know, he may be overturning some tables, some of your tables. He may be leading you to break some of your traditions, to reset your values and uns unsubscribe from certain channels, actual or otherwise, but to, to turn your heart again toward him in an abandon. And for many, perhaps, it's an abandon that you can remember experiencing just after the starter's pistol went off, way back whenever that was, but somehow you've allowed your heart to be discouraged and distracted and you've lost that cutting edge in your life and in your ministry. And God is speaking perhaps to you today to return and yield and surrender yourself fully and completely to him. Let me just pray. Father, only you know. Only you know what you have said. And you know who you've said it to. And I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you will have great success in accomplishing your purpose, even in these things that we've found from your scriptures and discovered along the journey of our own lives in the course of our running in this great race. So Lord, speak and work your works in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just before I hand back to my brother, um, just to let you know, I know there are some people who listen multiple times to these messages, but just to tell you, they will be available, many of them already are available on podcast. And if you can get information on our website, which is mackenziefellowship.com, or you can go to Turn to the Scriptures with Fred Tomlinson, 
I encourage you to subscribe. What that does doesn't cost you anything. It just means that apart from being notified about the next message perhaps, um, it, it enables us here in isolation um, to have a sense that here are men and women who are choosing to identify themselves with us in these days and become part of this, this online fellowship that God is producing. And we welcome all your encouraging comments. May God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I see that you've returned, Bob.